Morning, everybody. Thank you very much, Gillian, for bringing our our reading uh, this morning. Uh, Anybody into watching the adverts? No. Okay, well, this is going to go interesting then, because I'm looking for a little bit of responsiveness from you. If I was to say, TSB, the bank that likes to say... Yeah, you see, you do watch the adverts, don't you? You see, there's no catch at all. The bank that likes to say yes. I guess that attracts us in the sense that each of us want to hear a yes as opposed to a no. I mean, Maria already alluded to that when it came to the chocolate tin. Maybe it's better for us to say no, but we would definitely rather hear that there was a yes. Sometimes, though, maybe we do need to hear a no, whether that's from a bank or even from God himself. And that's what we're thinking about. We're going through this series on prayer. And obviously we very often start, as we've said time and time again, with our shopping list. The stuff that we want, that seems to be what prayer is about. Well, if you listen week by week, we've been unpacking all the different elements of prayer that we've been discovering from and in God's word. But what about this whole thing of them when we pray and if there's a request and if we don't get a response or maybe if the answer is no, is that the case? Isn't God always supposed to answer our prayers? And if so, doesn't that in essence mean that the answer is always yes? Well, if the answer yes is not the best for us, then God will not say yes. Because the God that we love, the God we worship here, is a God who longs to give us that which is good and right and for our best. He's concerned with our good. So I want us this morning to think about some of the, uh, maybe the obvious things that may well come to mind about when God may well say no. But then look at, right at the end, some of the bits that maybe are deep down within that we've struggled with accepting a no or a not yet where we then got an opportunity to maybe give that back to God. God sometimes says no for our own good. Parents say no to their children at times. That's not uh, an unusual thing for me to pass on to you. Um, I'm a parent of two grown-up children now. I know you find that hard to believe uh, in looking at me. But uh, uh, So I was having a conversation uh, with my daughter uh, this week via FaceTime. She's uh, in uh, in Sydney, which is where I know you've just come uh, back from, Mavis. Uh, So she's there working out in Sydney. Um, I was just chatting with her about uh, what we're doing here in this series and what we're, we're talking about and this whole thing of saying no and my, my mind went back to when Gemma was round about one and a half, two, something like that and like any young child and you may well be able to identify with this in terms of a young child loves knobs or switches or doing that which they didn't really ought to touch and they'll see mum or dad flicking on a screen or whatever it may well be and in this instance it was the TV and of course, what Gemma would love, love to do would be to go on uh, up to the TV and switch the on switch. Because then you've got this, this big box that then comes to life. And of course, we would go through the patter of child goes up to TV and we would say, no. And so she would then pause. And then every now and then she would go up to the TV and look back to see if we were looking. And even if we were in the room, she would then learn... And she would wait for the no, because she knew that that was coming. And that then developed to her then going up to the TV screen and... No. She wouldn't even say it herself. We understand that in terms of a child and a parent. We are God's 
children if we are believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can get a bit frustrated when God says no, but we are his children and we have to accept that he knows best. In the same way that as a parent we know what's best for our children, particularly in the obvious things where they may well come to harm and they haven't yet discovered or learnt or experienced if they do such and such, there's going to be a consequence. Well, God is the same in that sense. As the the child ourselves, if you like, we've got limited wisdom, even if we like to think that we know best and an outcome seems very obvious to us. Back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, God allowed his people Israel to go hungry. Well, that may well seem very unkind, unloving. God allowed them to go hungry. Why? To learn. It says in in verse 3 that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That's the same verse that Jesus used when Satan tempted him in the wilderness, when he was incredibly hungry. 40 days, 40 nights, you can understand that. Kind of like 40 hours or four hours and some of us, we can feel our stomachs rumbling and we need to satisfy that, don't we? But they had to learn to obey God and it took a wilderness experience to learn it. And sometimes that can be true for ourselves. There are seasons where we go through a wilderness and we need to learn what God is wanting to teach us in and through it. Back in the, the uh, uh, again in the Old Testament, when some of the spies came back from the promised land and had reported seeing giants, well, God had to say no to their desire to enter the promised land. Was God being a bad father to withhold this? Or did he know that they would have been destroyed if they'd gone in? God being a good God had to say no to their request in order to save their lives, maybe. Even though saying no did not make God very popular with his children. Sometimes we can be more concerned with our popularity than in doing the right thing. God sometimes says no for our good. But God sometimes says no if he has got other plans. We may well not be aware of those, but he has got other plans. Think about in John chapter 11. There's that quite powerful account of what happened to Lazarus, who was dead, but then Jesus brought back to life. But when you read through John chapter 11, you'll read there that Jesus purposely, it seems, delayed his coming and allowed his friend, his close friend, Lazarus, to die. And at first glance, you think, well, what is all that about? That just doesn't sit very comfortably with us. Then Jesus had the audacity to say that it was good that Lazarus died. Well, wasn't that no from Jesus hard to understand at that particular point when he would have maybe said that? At best insensitive and at worst maybe quite sadistic. Jesus, you can imagine, would have been incredibly slated by the tabloids. But that wasn't the end of the story. If you read right the way through John chapter 11, God had a better plan. Through the experience of Lazarus' death and then resurrection, it would help the faith of many to believe and therefore be saved. And then we get from that one of the most quoted verses that you hear at funerals, where those people, even though they die, are able to live if they have trusted themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
wonder if that would have been easy, though, for the onlookers at the time, going through that sense of journey. It's not easy for ourselves, is it? When we're not fully aware of what maybe the fuller part of the story is going to be, because we operate in the now. We operate with where we're at emotionally. And I want to be very honest with you this morning, kind of share a bit of a a mini confession, if you like. It's very, very recent. And I've asked uh, the permission of the person uh, who this concerns, if this would be all right to, uh, uh, to share this. And they've agreed, which I'm very grateful for. Many of you will know that Chris Llewellyn's husband died quite, uh, quite tragically recently. Uh, David was, uh, about, I think, uh, nearly 67 uh, when he died recently. And David didn't used to come to church. He had no church background, although Chris herself uh, has been part of the church and is a believer. And so that whole sense of discussion with David, and I knew David quite well, but he would always keep faith stuff at a distance. And in trying to sort of meet up with with Christine from time to time over those more difficult days, and and when he was then going to go into a hospice, uh, Chris seemed uh, very together in herself, maybe a bit numbed because it was all happening very, very suddenly. And then one time when we were on our own, just the two of us, and David had gone into into the hospice, and, and I said, look, Chris, how are you really feeling? And then, boom, out came some of her honest fears. All David related, really, about David's pain, not wanting David to go on in agony, about David's own fear of David being on his own. I said, why don't we just give all of that to, to God? Just ask God to then take those fears, because it was a very pertinent and honest prayer. But I then said to Christine, I'd love to go and see David in the hospice. Are you okay with that? And she said, that would be great, yeah. I said, okay, I'll go tomorrow. And I said, Christine, you were his wife. You, you know, knew and loved him for over 30 years. I said, would you be okay if the opportunity arose for me to speak to him about this hope that we can have if we trust ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ? She said, yeah. You've got to be sensitive at those times. No, no, no sooner than she'd said yes, oh, praise God, there's an opportunity there. David died before I got there. I was pretty angry with God, I'll be honest. Why? Well, because there was this first opportunity when David was right at the end of his life to maybe hear a, a message of hope for eternal life. And I've been by somebody's bedside just at those closing moments before. And it's a difficult thing to be there, but it's also an honour and a privilege, as well as a huge opportunity. Here was this opportunity where I felt that God had said a yes, but before I even had that opportunity fulfilled, his life was taken. God, what are you playing at? Now, I'm sharing that quite honestly with you about my own struggle with the Lord. It took me about two days before having a sense of God saying to me with, if I'm honest, a bit of a rebuke, Roger, didn't you realise I was there already? There was me thinking it was all down to me. I had this opportunity. Look what I'm able to do for you, Lord, etc., etc. And I'm sure my motive was right and honourable, but I hadn't seen the bigger picture. I hadn't really taken that step back to realise that I've got to let God be God. And there are times where we've each got to come to that place. I was just a little bit slow on that occasion. Maybe, just maybe, God had 
other plans. God sometimes says no, as he does indeed have other plans. R.T. Kendall was the minister of Westminster Chapel for years. And he recalls his upset when as a young man in his teens, he was praying to God that there might be a yes with a particular young lady that he was bonkers over. She was gorgeous, or so he felt. Please give me the opportunity. Please may there be a yes. And each time he tried to seek that opportunity, she said no. No. He felt pretty bad about that. Time rolled forward. And he said, our paths crossed years after that. Wow, he said. Was I so pleased that God had not answered that prayer in the way that I prayed. I won't add what else he added onto the end of that sentence. God maybe sometimes says no because he has other plans. If you saw some of the plans for Ackland Road Evangelical Church, as we were known then, from 35 years ago, that God's people back then would have been praying, God, would you bring this into fruition? If you saw the smallness of those plans of a new building back then, you would all be so grateful that God said no for that time and occasion. Because it wouldn't be anywhere near appropriate for the now for what God has provided. But those people 35 years ago would have not have known that. They wouldn't have been able to see what you and I have been able to see and, and uh, see what the Lord has delivered. So God sometimes says no because he's got other plans. God sometimes says no so that others' needs are met. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. He said this, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are we not supposed to be following Jesus' example? God may well say a no to our own desires in order that we may serve others. As with Lazarus, our pain may just be used to bring life to many. Think about maybe why Paul in Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings, but for your sake. In Acts chapter 16, I think we quoted this uh, a few weeks ago. Acts chapter 16, verses 7 to 9. You had Paul then, you had a right, uh, a right motive in wanting other people to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we read in those verses that just as they were moving forwards on that missionary journey, the Spirit of Jesus said no. There was a closed door. What's all that about? But there was something beyond that of another need that God wanted to redirect them in. And over the night, Paul had this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. God sometimes says no so that others' needs are met. God even said no to Jesus. When? When? Gethsemane. I heard Gethsemane. You're absolutely right. God said no to Jesus when Jesus wanted to avoid going to the cross. And you can read about that in in Mark chapter 14. Jesus prayed 
in what's called that place called Gethsemane, that this cup, that which is ahead, may well be taken away from him. So he didn't have to go through the torture, the pain of the cross and all of the rest of the of the sin and the burden of, of you and me that would have been carried upon him at that awful time. And yet he added at the end of his prayer and his request, yet let your will be done, not mine. Let your plan be done, not mine. There's something even in that prayer of Jesus making known his request, but being willing to be in submission to God's greater purposes that is their model for you and me. Not just to describe what Jesus did, but so that we grasp hold of that. It's absolutely right that those things that are mattering to us in the now, that we do make our requests known to God. God's word teaches us that. That's an encouragement. But there has to be the but that we add into that. But not my will, but let yours be done. And that's often tough when we're only able to see the now. Now God did answer Jesus' prayer. But not in the way that 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 fleshly part, if I can uh, dare word it like that, in inverted commas, was maybe immediately seeking to be uh, taken away uh, from that physical pain that was around the corner, but through his love, wisdom and foresight. God responded, though, to Jesus' pain too. In Luke 22 and verse 43, we read that now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. There was that sense of an immediate response into the, into the pain. And some of us may well have experienced those times where despite the circumstance not changing, there's something that we receive that enables us to get through the pain of the now. Be open to God coming in at that given moment. But beyond that, what would have happened if Jesus had refused God's plan of going to the cross Jesus could have refused to have taken God's no, but we would still, each and every one of us, be dead in our sin and actually en route and on our way, looking, staring at the face of an eternity in hell. Wasn't it good that he was willing to add in, yet not my will, but yours be done, knowing that there was something greater. We need to be God-centered, not flesh Centered, And that's tough when the cries of the flesh can often be and appear so strong. Like when Peter was hearing that Je- when Jesus said that he was going to be dying and, and how that was going to take place. No, that's not going to happen to you, Jesus. No, not at all. Peter was unable to see that as being a part of God's plan. He was only able to see the immediate, to see the now. And often that's where we find ourselves. That was where I found myself a few weeks ago. I didn't get it. That God was able to even be there in a place before Roger Frapwell turned up. How could God love you and allow you to suffer? May well have been Peter's thinking. What was Jesus' answer to Peter? Well, however well-meaning, Peter got a pretty blunt response in Matthew 16, verse 23. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. God's ways will always be higher than our ways, and his thoughts always higher than our thoughts. We don't always get it. 
during those times of toughness in the flesh, when we're wrestling with the now, and in those struggles of our day, try, if you're able, to take that step back and say, God, what is it that I'm not able to see right now? What is my blind spot? When you're in a car driving along, you've got a rear view mirror that we're supposed to be looking in every uh, seven seconds or so, or I think when it's appropriate is is now the wording, or in, in a mirror on the right or in the mirror on the left. But there's still a blind spot. And spiritually, there's always going to be a blind spot because we're not perfect. We are fallen people. We don't get to see the bigger picture. Ask that God might help us have that sense of what his mind and his ways are. All too often we can present our prayers, can't we, solely based on our desires. At times maybe acting like those, like those children uh, uh, would act. Kicking our feet, screaming, storming off, moving away from God, going in a half when we don't get our own way. As rebellious children, we may even accuse our parents, our God, if you like, of not being loving towards us because we're so boxed into the focus on the now. Do we refuse to take the no as an answer? Or only consider a good answer to prayer to be a yes. I think back to the many people that have asked me to pray for them when they've got a job interview coming up. Now, very often, of course, there would be the attachment of, would you pray that this is God's will for me? And then they don't get the job and are in a strop. (laughs) So really, the question is, would you pray for me as I go for this job interview that the answer would be yes? And maybe... You've been in that place where you've got to know. And that's hard to see that in the immediate, isn't it? Of being a response from God because of what we wanted and have worked for and filled in our CV and a massively ever-lengthening application form, maybe. John chapter 5 and verse 30. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me. Do I pray for God to follow me and my wants and my desires, or do I pray to hear God's voice and desire his ways, his will and his plans? I know the answer for me. But what about you? What about where you're at right now? Because when we think about, does God ever say no? We kind of get the bit maybe of God sometimes says no for our own good. We get the bit where God sometimes says no as he's got other plans or God says no so that others' needs are met. And we get the thing of why God said no to Jesus in Gethsemane, but what about the stuff that we don't get or are refusing to get? As Jesus did, we must also resist the enemy, Satan, the accuser, when he tries to divide us from God by falsely accusing God of being unloving, uncaring or powerless to help us. Don't ever be afraid to quote that really well-known verse that heartens believers in Romans 8 verse 28 that says God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Hang on to that when there appears nothing else to hang on to. God's word teaches that he loves us. His word teaches us that he answers our prayers Trust him at his word. Do we love, respect and trust God enough to submit to his will, even when maybe the answer might appear to be no to our wants and desires? What about when we just don't get it? When our requests have seemed 
unselfish, when our request has seemed God-honouring. I think about someone not that many years ago who uh, came across James chapter 5 and there's a passage in there about healing that if any one of you is sick, etc., etc., they should call the elders and anoint them with oil and pray for healing. And there's uh, wider verses uh, around that, which won't unpack uh, now. Uh, but they saw that that initiative was down to them and they called the elders and I was one of the two uh, that went and we prayed in faith and we, we did all the right stuff. It, it seemed to be open to God about uh, this gentleman's uh, sight. That sight is no better. What do I do with that? Maybe you can think of a family member that as yet doesn't know Jesus. And you've prayed, oh boy, have you prayed. And still they appear to be nowhere spiritually. And it's as if God is saying a no. Why would that make sense? We struggle. It could well be a long for a career change. It could well be that God would resolve your financial debt that hasn't been your fault that you've fallen into or that's come your way. It could be that not able to have a child. It could be that sense of a marriage that was not able to be saved. And it seems at those different times and seasons, as if God has said a no to those cries of your heart. That's where it's tough, isn't it? That's where we've got an opportunity, as well as a challenge, to be big enough to say, but not my will, but yours. Even though we may well not get it. That is tough. But that's the question that we're posing today. And it's also the challenge for how we respond to that. We can actually block our ears at this point and shut all the doors down and leave this place in exactly the same way as we came in. Or we can recognise maybe how that has taken hold and taken us captive and maybe acted as a restriction in other areas of our growth or development or anything else. And we can choose and say, God, I don't fully get it. But I want to again give that issue over to you because I've never really surrendered to your will, to your plan, to what it is that I don't fully get. There is a verse back in the Old Testament that's been really precious to me for that kind of stuff. And the only reason I've ever remembered it is because it's 2929. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to read it to you. God's word says there, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may follow all the words of this law. Some things we do not know and we cannot know and we are never going to know. For the reason that we are not God. And those secret things that we don't fully get or comprehend as we walk this earth belong to the one who is God. His word declares it. That verse in Deuteronomy 29, 29 acts as a reminder to us. But there is a but. And there's always a positive but. And the but in this verse says about that which has been written, that which has been made known, that which has been declared. 
which is for your good, for your children's good, etc., etc. That's the stuff that you and I are meant to take heed of. This is what we know. This is therefore what we're meant to do. The stuff that we don't get. The stuff that we don't understand. The stuff where I got angry with God. Why didn't you say a yes to that opportunity? To give that to him and let God be God. Because we aren't. This is your, my, our opportunity. With honesty and integrity. To say, God, I don't fully get it. But I'm trusting that which I do know and that which you have made known. And alongside everything else, there's an encouragement to come. To come. Jesus himself said, cast all your burdens upon me. And I will give you rest. But that promise is only as a result of our coming and our casting all of our burdens upon him. You could have many burdens. We're thinking this morning about that burden of when maybe God has said no, you felt. And it may well have been a no from God. It may well not have been a no. There may well be a not yet. It may well be a no for another reason. Whatever it is, whatever is at the root, doesn't really matter. But it's holding you captive. And we've got a choice. Of either to hold on to the bitterness and our anger and resentment, maybe even to God himself. Or to come afresh and dump it to this one who's able to do far more than we can possibly ever imagine. That's where it's over to us, to make a choice as an act of the will. May it be that we might be like Jesus when he prayed. This is what I want. This has been being honest, God. This has been making known my requests. I don't want to go that way at the cross. Who wants the whole suffering thing? Not me, thank you very much. But not my will. But God, yours. Even if I don't get it, I'm going to trust you that you know best. And you're going to sort everything out so it is okay. Let's come to him in prayer. And then let's use what follows as an opportunity to respond to whatever it is you feel God say to you by his Holy Spirit. Let's just be still before him. And then we'll continue in worship as Maria leads us through from there. God said through the psalmist, be still and know that I am God. God knows your pain. God knows you struggle when you've not got that answer that you so long for. Maybe instead of our being clenched fists before him, as a symbolic means of our letting that stuff go to God, we can be open-handed before him. Open-handed to let the stuff that's unhealthy go. However understanding it may well be for, for us to feel such pain. But then as we let that stuff go, those open hands are also going to be in a place of receiving
God, there's so much we don't get and don't understand. Hear the cry of our hearts right now. Take this pain. Take the burden. Take all that is not of you that we've held on to. Take that stuff that's just been destroying us. Take our grief. Take our mourning. Take our suffering. Take our doubts. Not my 